1: summer solstice nothing personal word of the day it's Tuesday June 21st 2022 otherwise known as the summer solstice which means if you're in the Northern Hemisphere listening to this show this is the longest day of the year we've been building to this since December 21st where every day it's lighter for a little bit longer and it builds to the crescendo of today and now Every day starting tomorrow gets a little bit shorter until we get back to December 21st. It's the cycle of life. It's the cycle of the year. It's a good opportunity. People use New Year's or their birthday or Christmas, maybe even Hanukkah, but mostly not Hanukkah. That's sort of about eight days of presents. People use a day to take stock. And I was thinking last night about the show today and about what day I use to take stock and my general day is New Year's but the other days are December and June 21st. And here's what I mean by that. You know my obsession with time. You know that it's the commodity that I want more of, can't find more of. I take away sleep hours to get more awake hours which can be very, very helpful in terms of efficiency. It can be not helpful in terms of restfulness and feeling chipper though I get my chippiness, not through caffeine, through general secretions of other hormones, none of which are PEDs, none of which are supplements. I don't know where it comes from. I think if I were a kid now, I could easily be ADD. But when I was a child, that was not a diagnosis. It was just, oh, you get in trouble because you talk too much or you interrupt class, you're the class clown. You never hear that anymore. Like the parents don't get called by their teacher, hey, your kid's the class clown. No, your kid needs to be medicated. That's what they go to right now. So June 21st happens to be my least favorite day. And I am not a pessimist by nature. While it should be the greatest day because you have the most light, I project the fact that, okay, we're now over the hump of the greatness. We have, we're we not building toward greatness. We're building toward darkness about 15 years ago i went to alaska and i went above the arctic circle to a place called kotzebue kotzebue is a place where uh if you're going on an alaskan cruise and you do an extra few days an excursion you can go to where the iditarod started there was a time when i saw the start of the iditarod and the end of the iditarod where i thought of doing the iditarod until i realized i can't take care of dogs and i don't like being cold but i went to kotzebue and And I spent the time there talking to people because I was fascinated by the fact that I went to watch a Little League game. I was working in baseball at the time, and they had scheduled Little League games at midnight. It was absolutely light of day, like midday. And... I, would, I was talking to the, both kids and the parents in Kotzebue. It's a one road town, there's no traffic lights. It's the place where during the winter, it's dark all day, during the summer, it's light all day. And I was asking about the impact, the impact of mood, the impact of drinking, the impact of sex, the impact just what, what happens when you live in a place where there is such stark contrast. And I was told by people with whom I spoke that they viewed it the exact opposite as the way I viewed it. They loved all day, right, the height of the summer, because for them, it was they compared themselves to hibernating bears, where while it's light out, they take advantage of everything. They sleep much less, their activities all day and all night. It's sort of like bears getting berries and twigs and sticking them up their butt, getting ready to hibernate because they know they don't want to be able to go to the bathroom or they can't go to the bathroom because they're hibernating. This is a true story, bears actually do that. And then when they're done hibernating, they sort of take everything out and then there's this amazing noxious gas that comes out because they've been holding it for months. But anyway, so the reason they described it as a bear hibernating is they said, when bears aren't hibernating, they are taking advantage of everything. And what they find is that they are far more efficient when there is light and far less efficient when it is dark. And I said, why don't the lights, because there is electricity, why don't the lights inside take the place of the sunlight? Why can't you pretend? That was sort of my point of view. Like, what's the difference once you're awake all these arguments about school time where you can't go to school too early because it's dark and if you then if you don't you change the clock like uh daylight savings time then you're going to start work in the dark you're going to end work in the dark and people are going to be in the dark and they're going to be despondent and what these people in Kotzebue told me is that it's all about frame of reference and if you are in a place where it's light all the time you don't have any frame of reference for negativity or darkness because it's light. And when you're in the dark all the time, you have no frame of reference for when it's light. So people tend to drink more, there's higher suicide rates, there's higher rates of depression. And being inside when it's freezing cold and dark outside and the light, they try to create sunlight inside, but at the end of the day, it's just light bulb light. And their bodies get used to that, but it takes over a month this is what they said so after a month they use that light the artificial light is light and their bodies are building back toward the summer solstice but the benefit of kotzebue is they don't prepare for dark until it's dark because they don't need to and don't want to they put the body into a shock when it starts to be way darker because they don't want to waste the light and it got me thinking today on june 21st about wasting the light. And I'm wondering when you wake up in the morning and when you go through your routine, sorry, Coca, I just touched the microphone. Coca got so pissed at me, side note. So I have this microphone from CBS. People have asked me what it is. It's a Rode microphone and apparently it's very sensitive, and I have a tick, many of them, but one of them is I play with the dials on the side of the microphone, and they're not dials, they sort of tighten it or leave it less tight, and when I play with it, apparently it makes a noise that gives feedback, much like listeners who have told me don't drink water without pressing the cough button, don't cough without pressing the cough button, apparently when I play with the dials of the microphone, Coca gets upset. So I was about to do it again, and Coca, I'm learning, my fingers came about one inch, if you're watching this on Nothing Personal with David Sampson YouTube channel, Or if you're listening on Apple, please press follow and then go to the YouTube channel and subscribe. I came like a millimeter away from twisting the dials, but I didn't do it. Okay, so when you're thinking about your day and you start your day, whatever your routine is, and don't tell me you don't have a morning routine because we all do. Some people wake up, the first thing they do is they make coffee, they have coffee, or they shower, or they smoke, or they drink. Whatever your routine is, good or bad, they go running, they stretch, whatever there is something that gets your day going do you change your daily routine according to the day of the week or according to the schedule of the day so i've gotten into a habit and this started long longer ago than i wish to admit but my habit was that I check my calendar, and I used to have a a handwritten calendar, now it's on my phone, before I go to sleep, before I put my phone down. And then the first thing I do when I open my eyes, unfortunately, is I check my phone calendar. Because while I have the reminders on for every five minutes, I like to be mentally prepared for what the day is. And when my day has more shows than usual, or a travel day, or something going on when I was in baseball, or on Wall Street, or Europe, whatever it was, Because whatever you're doing that particular day is the most important thing that you're doing that particular day. So I found myself, strangely enough, altering my routine according to the amount of both physical and mental exertion that was gonna be required during the course of the day. On June 21st, I add something. I add a reflection. And the reflection is, have I wasted the buildup to the light? And i go back over my calendar and i look at the things that i've done or accomplished or tried to do because i keep a list as you would imagine of things that i've done trips that i've done moments that i've had things that i have not done things that i've canceled things that i wanted to do but didn't do but couldn't do would like to have done maybe we'll do next time things that i didn't do and will never be able to do again things that i did do and don't want to do again things that i did do and i do want to do again there are these lists of things and the reason i like keeping track is because it leads to efficiency, which is the bottom line in my life, efficiency. And so then I was thinking about how that applied to my life in sports. And it turns out efficiency is what every team is after, not just in baseball, but I wanna talk about baseball for a minute. It used to be that we discussed efficiency in baseball We discussed it with our eyes pre-moneyball, even though there's no such thing as pre-moneyball, but I'm just going to say that because people understand what that means. So pre-analytics, we didn't have an analytics department in my earlier years in baseball. Not that we didn't use analytics, we just didn't have a department. So efficiency in terms of what players do we have on the team? How do we allocate our payroll? Where do we put them in the batting order? Where do we position them on the field? Efficiency is for one reason, and it's not just sports, right? Efficiency in your life, in your personal life, in your professional life, it enables you to get more done. What if you're being efficient, but what you're getting done is actually negative as it relates to achieving your goal? What if you are more efficient doing the wrong thing? Can that be possible? My answer is an unequivocal yes. We would sit in baseball meetings, and we would talk about our efficiency, and then we would look at our results, and we would say that what we are doing well is not leading to the way we measure our results. Either we're not increasing our ticket revenue, we're not increasing our sponsorship revenue, or we're not getting wins on the field. And then what we would do, and this is where it struck me, we would get into the rationalization portion of the efficiency discussion. The rationalization portion of the efficiency discussion is when you say to yourself, the reason I didn't get the results, even though I was totally efficient, was because of an outside influence that I do not control. Gas prices are too high. Stock market's down. People's disposable income is decreased. The player did not play up to his potential that we expected him to play to when we built the team. The the player made mental mistakes. The player was injured. The manager has lost the clubhouse the general manager made bad trades we drafted a guy who did not make the big leagues the meeting we were supposed to have didn't go the way we had planned to have it go can you have negative results with positive preparation that keeps me up at night the reason it keeps me up at night Is that when you are going about your business and your job or your personal life and you are doing everything that you think is right in order to improve both of those facets of your life but then it doesn't happen do you then say it's not meant to be for me I don't have the ability to make my life better. I don't have the ability to make more money. I don't have the ability to quit my job and start doing what I love. I don't have the ability to leave my relationship because I'm unhappy. I don't have the ability to stay in my happy relationship because I self-sabotage. All the things that you say because the results did not match the preparation. Should that lead to different preparation? Better preparation? No this is what I've discovered over the years. If you don't get the results and the preparation is sound because it makes sense to you and you've gone through the steps that you think are necessary to accomplish a goal and then you don't accomplish the goal, I learned in baseball how to deal with it. You take the L. Now, publicly, you fire managers, you trade players, you do all sorts of things, but if you actually are not delusional and you are correct in evaluating your preparation and you don't get the result that you expected it's user error because you miscalculated what the result would be given the preparation or what you can't control you'll never be able to control and you simply move on now you're going to say david that's incredibly cynical are you saying if at first you don't succeed don't try try again i'm going to say doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results is the definition of insanity. And both of those things can't live together in the same universe. You have to choose. If at first you don't succeed, try, try again. Love it. Persistence. I love being persistent. But how do you reconcile that with what we have come to know is the absolute definition of insanity? So I err, On the insanity side because if you continue to do the same thing over and over guess what happens i wish there were an audience here because i'd call on you what happens when you get the same result and you've done it the same way you've wasted your time and you'll never get it back So if you don't like the result, change the preparation. If you do like the result, match the preparation. If you don't know what the result will be, then there's no way to prepare. When you are building your team and you are going through the different simulations, computer and otherwise, when you are going through your off-season and building and figuring out how your team's going to be, you allow room for the vagaries of sport. But come June 21st, the longest day of the year, the summer solstice, that is the day the best front offices stop evaluating from the off-season and start evaluating from the season. The season is a hair from being halfway done. And whatever you thought you were going to be matters not. It only matters what you are. The New York Yankees are the best team in Major League Baseball. They won their 50th game. Garrett Cole came two and a third away, two and two thirds. He went seven and a third. So he came eight and a third, one inning, five outs away from a no hitter. Against the Tampa Bay Rays. In a game that I had as my pick of the day. The Rays actually ended up scoring two runs, but still lost four to two. So we lost our pick of the day, but I'm not even talking about that right now. So the Yankees are looking at their team, they're looking at their division, they're looking at their 12-game lead, and I want to revisit with you the mentality of Brian Cashman. And I'm going to revisit this because I'm tired of being tagged every time the Yankees have a good outing from their pitching staff, and then not tagged every time their pitchers do not have a good outing. A 12-game lead over Toronto, 13.5 over Boston, 14 over Tampa, 20.5 over Baltimore. Starting from the bottom, Baltimore's 13-38. They're done. That's the end. They are getting ready. They're fighting the fight that the Angeloses are fighting, which we talked about. They're worrying about succession plans and the death of the patriarch. They're not worried about anything related to this season. They're trying to figure out how they're going to fight over who runs the franchise. Tampa, in fourth place, has a much different discussion to have because they were projected by many, including me, to win their division and certainly to make the playoffs, and they're still trying to get a new stadium and get their first World Series. Tampa is only a half game out of the extended wild card, and you know that the expanded wild card is not a one-game play-in anymore. It's a two-out-of-three series. So Tampa Bay is giving up on the American League East. When you are 14 games back on June 21st, the division is over. There will be people who say, all they got to do is win 12 in a row. The Yankees are going to settle down. They're not going to win 120 games. We can catch them. That's not what's happening in the front office of Tampa. What they're saying is, we are now going to put ourselves in the best position we can to get through the wildcard round we are going to continue to focus on playing the games we're going to win as many as we can but when you change your mentality from division winning to wild card getting it also impacts trade deadline activity it impacts the risks you're willing to take the future production you're willing to give up in order to get present day reward the best reward at the deadline is when you have a chance to win your division if you are holding on to a small lead or if you only have a small deficit. You are more apt to trade away more prospects. You're more apt to take bigger chances because the reward of winning your division is so significant, especially now. Boston, Toronto, and Tampa are all in the same boat. They're all playing only for the wild card. They are not going to make a outrageous trade deadline moves come august 2nd and give away anything remotely close to what a team let's give you an example let's give you an example like the st louis cardinals or the milwaukee brewers who are separated by a game those are two teams who say to themselves hey we got to win our division because short of winning our division we may not even make the playoffs so the difference between not winning the division and not making the playoffs is so significant that you are far more willing to take the chance at the deadline. Conversely, the Yankees, they are not going to make significant moves at the deadline, even though I think they should. Even though I've been on record telling you that they need an ace, Cole can pitch how he wants, Cortez can pitch how he wants, Jameson Talon, they can all pitch how they want. Montgomery, does Severino, it doesn't matter. They need more starting pitching. I will still say it. But when you've got a lead like the Yankees have, it is so hard to pull the trigger because you don't believe that you need to improve to win your division, and you believe that the fact that you have run away from the division will give you the amount of rest, the amount of recuperation, and the amount of runway in order to perform well in the playoffs, what about a team that was supposed to stink that doesn't stink? I did a radio interview, Coca, in uh, Cleveland yesterday. 92.3, Baskin and Phelps. It's a great show. I enjoy going on there. We always have fun. They asked me about the Browns getting a new stadium. There's a rumor the Haslam's won a billion-dollar either renovation or a new stadium. And I said on the air, I said, man, they'll do anything to deflect the Deshaun Watson situation. They'd rather ask for public money right now than deal with the reality of the Deshaun watson situation but then we got to talk about the guardians the guardians are another fascinating example remember they traded lindor they signed jose ramirez who's been out for a few games but he's he's really two in the mvp race for me behind aaron judge and they were not expected to be competitive but wouldn't you know it i mean it's unbelievable They're in a wild card slot right now. They're the number two wild card, only a game and a half behind the top wild card, which is Toronto. And they're only a game back of Minnesota in the Central, which was a runaway division. When this season started, I said to you, simple as pie, Chicago White Sox have this division absolutely solidified by midseason. I meant the Yankees. The White Sox are still below 500 languishing four and a half back of the division so the guardians and the white Sox are in two opposite situations when you are a team that was not expected to perform and then you perform guess what your windows open if the cleveland guardians do not make a move to improve their team trying to go for a playoff spot and the central division in the american league then as fans, you should be upset. Because when you've got unexpected window openness and you don't pry your entire body in to shatter it and make it the whole, the size of the Grand Canyon, you've wasted an opportunity. It doesn't mean their front office is bad because they miscalculated. It happens. But it's no longer... What's the right word, Coca? It's no longer an illusion. The Guardians are having a good season. They are a good team. Make them better. Conversely, the White Sox are a good team having a bad season. We're not going to make them worse. They're not going to sell at the deadline. But I am not rewarding my clubhouse with deadline moves if I'm Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams. I am not making this team better because the team on the field, regardless of injuries, has not proven they deserve it. So now you're seeing the different categories the overperforming teams, the underperforming teams, the as expected teams. And that helps inform GMs, owners, and presidents what they want to do in their clubhouse as we enter the second half of the season. It is going to be fascinating to watch what happens here. Let's look for it, though. There's something else going on. We're going to take a break. I want to review the movie I told you I was going to watch, and we're going to review it. It's called Father of the Bride. And then when we come back, we're going to have a few more topics. I, you know, Coca does not want me to mention Daniel Snyder, but I have to. It's going to be really quick, but he did something yesterday that made me laugh, so I'm going to make you laugh. We'll be right back. This podcast
0: is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this.
1: Just go to ramp.com slash easy ramp.com slash easy ramp.com slash easy cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Welcome back to nothing personal. My name is David Sampson. You have been with me and Coca for over two years now, two and a half years. We do this show. We are taking a break in July from July 7th until August 3rd. I am taking a massive crazy ridiculous trip to africa we're gonna have maybe a few mailbag episodes i was worried about taking a trip like this because i thought i and i've spoken to many different people in the industry i was worried that you'd all forget about me and we'd come back august 3rd and there'd be no one around but i know that's not the case and i am okay with taking some time off We did as many shows last year as there were Monday to Fridays. We had 261 shows, which is the exact number of Monday to Fridays in a year. And that is because Coca works so hard, and uh, he tells me what to do, and I'm happy to do it because we love doing this with you. We love the loyalty. We love the fact that you engage with us. We got to get merch, by the way, Coca. Can CBS somehow come up with merch? It's not that hard. The NPDS merch that people want. How about a horse hockey? or a GMAB. There's so many great things we could do. Just a wait to see. How am I doing? Wait to see. That should be. Do you remember in Notting Hill? Oh, forget it. I don't want to tell the story of the of the Rice E-Fan. Is that his name? The t-shirts that he wore on his date that Hugh Grant had to say. I don't think that that's a good t-shirt. If you haven't seen Notting Hill, go watch that scene. You'll love it. Anyway, did we take the break yet, Coca? Because the way we do the break is I say we're going to break and then I come right back and then we insert the commercials, which I don't do coconuts. Yes, we did. Okay. I told you I was going to watch. By the way, review, rate, follow. CBS gives me the list. Let me see what I have to say. Please go to Apple Podcasts and hit follow. Then go to Spotify and hit Follow then review on apple and give five stars if possible use linkedin to find a job or to hire people then sign up for cbssports.com we have to keep pumping that okay and then on top of that go to nothing person with david samson youtube channel to see whether or not my jacket needs shortening which it does Usually 38 short is exactly my size, but for whatever reason, this particular blazer happens to be a little long in the sleeve, and I wear it, as you know, every, I don't know, 20 days, and when I do, I always get annoyed by it because I like the ability to feel my sleeve, my shirt sleeve, and see my shirt sleeve. I'm going to have to get that altered. Okay, father of the bride. Correction. I like making corrections. Corrections are when I do a show, and you all get to me on Twitter at David P. Sampson and say, hey, you made a mistake and Coca didn't catch it. Coca catches a lot of corrections and yells in my ear or puts them in the document. But Father of the Bride, I thought, was a 1991 movie with Steve Martin, which it was, but that's not the original Father of the Bride. The original Father of the Bride is with Spencer Tracy in 1950, which I never saw. The new Father of the Bride I watched yesterday with my friend, Andy Garcia, my acquaintance, Andy Garcia. I don't want to throw a friend around. My acquaintance, Gloria Estefan, my friend, Emilio Estefan, his wife. The Rhythm Is Gonna Get You. Do people know, Coca, do you know Gloria Estefan's music? Rhythm Is Gonna Get You, the Miami Sound Machine. I wonder if whether people who are 30 know who that is. Well, gloria stefan is an incredibly successful singer she does not act very often and she plays the wife of andy garcia and they are the parents of the bride it is a remake of father of the bride with a complete miami latin hispanic flavor cuban mexican it is a fascinating difference between the lily white 1991 father of the bride The wedding planner in 91 was Martin Short. The wedding planner is a, a, I think a Saturday Night Live actress, Coca. The story is that the father of the bride is not happy with the wedding, the expense of it, with the husband, yada, yada, yada. And it is a tale as old as time where at the end, the father and the mother are happy. The father's walking the bride down the aisle, which put a tear in my eye with my daughter having just gotten married a few months ago. Overall... It's a movie that I don't think should have been redone, but now that it has, again, it was in very capable hands. And any time you can see Andy Garcia and Gloria Stefan on screen, you watch it. The son-in-law is played by the guy from Rock of Ages who was dating Julianne Huff in Rock of Ages. I wanna say his name is Diego uh, Inigo Montoya. Inigo, no, Inigo Montoya, that's the princess. Oh my God, Coca, we cannot put that in the show. That is the princess bride character hold on i'll cut it and we'll rewrite four six nine the son-in-law is played by diego bonata i believe that is the name of the actor who also was in rock of ages with julianne huff or how and alec baldwin tom cruise the movie rock of ages it is an hour and 57 minutes father of the bride 2022 and if you love miami and if you love Sort of emotional movies that make you think about your kids or make you think about a wedding or your own wedding or your parents-in-law. You know exactly how it's going to end. There's some funny scenes including how they put together a wedding at the last minute. But at the end of the day, it's a movie that will make you smile. That's it. Father of the Bride. Okay. We have uh, spent quite a bit of time talking about the lived golf situation. And just as a reminder, that is a set of exhibitions that is being financed by Saudi Arabia where there's a bunch of players, including Dustin Johnson and Phil Mickelson, who have said they're going to stop with the PGA Tour and they're going to play the live events because they can't do both because the live events have guaranteed them a certain amount of money. We've gone through that. Well, today, Brooks Kepka. yeah, the guy who's really, really good on the PGA Tour, he's won four majors he's leaving the PGA Tour for this live exhibition sponsored by Saudi Arabia this is no longer a small deal in the world of golf the U.S Open just ended yesterday the U.S Open is a not PGA Tour event The U.S. Open allowed the live guys to play in the U.S. Open. We told you Phil Mickelson wouldn't make the cut. He did not make the cut. But now, the PGA Tour and its commissioner, Jay Monaghan, they need to start thinking about how they're going to deal with this live situation. Because what they thought was a gnat is turning into a wildebeest. And the problem is if you treat a veal beast with a swatter the odds are it's not going to kill it and you're going to get consumed the pga tour is now in a fight for its life because once enough players switch and once players get wind that switching did not end their earning capacity it did not cause their kids to be kicked out of school or themselves to be kicked out of their country club membership It was not a full REM, end of the world as we know it. The floodgates are going to open. And it's not anything other than money. And Saudi Arabia and the sovereign fund, guess what they have a lot of? Money. It's not like being owned by an American company or even a European company or a billionaire. Steve Ballmer, Steve Cohn, Rob Walton. The Saudi Sovereign Fund makes those guys look like they are worth a dollar. So it doesn't matter that the live people don't have a great broadcast deal. It doesn't matter that the live exhibition games, you don't see them, you can't find them. The Saudi Sovereign Fund doesn't care about that. They're trying to put the PGA Tour out of business and they're willing to pay whatever it takes. And in business, when you have a competitor who does not care about profitability, but the only goal is to put you out of business you are screwed and that's exactly what's going to happen to the pga tour the more big name golfers who switch the tighter the screws will get around the pga tour and the faster greg norman will get his wish and there will be full free agency in golf because guess what businessmen are doing in america right now and europe they're figuring out hmm we can now put together a competitor to the PGA Tour that is not financed with Saudi money, that will be able to get broadcast deals in the United States, that will attract US companies and sponsors, and we will work with the Live Tour. So if the PGA doesn't turn around and start working with Live, they're gonna be gone. All right. Next. Oh, we could give a great one, right? Do you want to do? do we, we could talk about Greg Norman. All right, I, I do want to talk about that for one second. This is happening right now. Greg Norman uh, talked about Jay Monahan. Jay Monahan is the guy who runs the PGA. Greg Norman is the guy who took over Live when Jack Nichols, Nicholas didn't want it. Greg Norman is being paid nine figures, over a hundred million dollars, to run this tour. He said, look, I'm disappointed people go down that path, quite honestly. If they want to look at it in prism, then why does the PGA Tour have 23 sponsors doing 40-plus billion worth of business with Saudi Arabia? Why is it okay for the sponsors? Will Jay Monahan go to each and every one of those CEOs of the 23 companies that invest into Saudi Arabia and suspend them and ban them? The hypocrisy in all this, it's so loud, it's deafening. This is Greg Norman during an interview talking about the hypocrisy. And guess what? He's right. There is hypocrisy everywhere. Did you know the U.S. men's national team just scheduled a game against Japan? I think Japan just outlawed, what did they outlaw, same-sex marriage? I think it's now unconstitutional. The NBA does billions of dollars of business with China. When do we decide when our moral and our morality and our moral compass should point center or point left or point right or point to you. When are you in the spotlight next? When do you escape the spotlight? Why do we as fans and consumers decide who gets away with what, when, who gets to have a reclamation, like an A-Rod or a Tiger Woods, whereas some people are gone forever like a John Daly or a Mike Tyson? How do we decide who gets the benefit of our many doubts? Is it based on our pleasure of watching? Is it based on our pleasure of seeing someone so low, watching them rise so high that we can break them down and build them up and break them down like they're a pinata? One of the hardest things to do when you're in charge of a business is to be consistent. How is the PGA Tour being consistent by penalizing its players and not its sponsors? You tell me, Greg Norman, because you know the answer to the question. Money. Money. It is far easier to tell a player they can no longer play than to tell a sponsor you don't want their tens of millions of dollars. All of us pretend, everyone, I don't care if you're rich or poor, we all pretend that we do what's right and that what we think is right is what everyone else should do. That is ego talking, isn't it? How do we avoid that? How do we ever convince each other that what we're doing is wrong and that what you're doing is right and we're going to start doing what you're doing because it's right. Now it's going to cost us, but it's right. It's exactly what's going on in our country. No one's listening. The right's not talking to the left. The left's not talking to the right. Everyone's extreme. There's no one allowed in the middle anymore. You're either canceled or you're not. When did this happen? And how do we stop it? I've got it. The way we stop it is with our ears, not our mouths. How often do people talk to you during the course of your day at work like your boss and you just aren't even listening because you're unwilling to care what he or she or they are saying because you know the way you do it is right and if they don't agree with the way you're doing it, to them, it's to you, it's their problem, not yours, their fault, not yours. I love that. I think we're all going to start listening to each other more on june 21st take advantage of the sunlight okay nothing personal pick of the day as i told you we lost 71 to 59 that's our record we had the rays beating the yankees we're only now 12 games over it's terrible were we 71 and 59 yesterday coca can you check yesterday's rundown I feel like we were 71 and 59 yesterday, which means we're 71 and 60. Did I not change the record? Will you check that and get back to me while we're still doing this? Because I'm gonna talk about today's game. I'm gonna talk about the Texas Rangers and the Philadelphia Phillies. We are 71 and 60. Nailed it, Coca. I've got the Rangers over the Phillies. I was gonna take a day off, but I wanted to talk about the Rangers and the Phillies. Two very interesting teams. The Texas Rangers are the team, as you recall, they won the off season. Remember that? And we said to you, winning the offseason doesn't mean squat, because I've won the offseason and then lost 90 games. When they signed Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon, greatest middle infield ever, half a billion dollars. Oh, my God, this is amazing. Guess what? They're 31 and 35, 10 games back of the Houston Astros. Do you know where they are in the wild card? Wait for it. Five games back of even making the playoffs. Now, the Phillies, however... They signed Schwarber, Castellanos, spent money. They're right up at the luxury tax. They've got an owner willing to spend stupid money. They fired their manager. Everything's going great. They've won nonstop since Rob Thompson became the manager. The Philadelphia Phillies are now four games over, six and a half back of the Mets. And wait for this, hard to believe. They are only two games out of a wild card. Is this the example where firing your manager is going to lead to postseason success? Is this another example of a Jack McKeon joining the Marlins? Is Rob Thompson the new Jack McKeon and Joe Girardi the new Jeff Torborg? The Phillies, I said it before and I'll say it again. They are not making the playoffs. The Rangers, I said it before, I'll say it again, are not making the playoffs but you cannot give up on your year if you're either one of those teams. No matter where you sit, remember in the beginning of the show we talked about understanding where you are versus where you were supposed to be and the best teams recognize where they are and adjust accordingly? What about the teams, and I've led a few of them, who are supposed to be in a place, they're not in a place, but they say we're going to get to that place, I don't care that we're halfway through the season, and we're going to keep going. That's what the Rangers and Phillies have to do. Texas Rangers over the Phillies, pick of the day. Wait to see is when we tell you something's going to happen. When it happens, that's great. We revisit it. When it doesn't happen, we also revisit it. Find me another show that corrects itself, and I don't mean like the PTI corrections. I'm talking about all the hot takes you hear from all the people when they don't happen. They just move on to the next hot take. On June 15th, 2022, we told you that Phil Mickelson would miss the cut in the U.S. Open, that he was allowed to play even though that he was resigned from the PGA Tour or suspended. Guess what? He missed the cut. Phil Mickelson, even though he just won a major like a year and a half ago at the age of 50, it's uh, he got the 200 million. That's it for motivation. Mickelson missed the cut. Nailed that. Well, yesterday, did you see the news? I saw the news today. Oliver Luck and Vince McMahon settled their lawsuit. No trial. On May 14th of 2020, over two years ago, we gave you a way to see that that lawsuit will settle. Oliver Luck was the commissioner for Vince McMahon's XFL, and then he got fired, and then during COVID, And then Vince McMahon said, you didn't do your job. And Oliver Lux said, I did my job. Pay me my money. And Vince McMahon said, forget it. We're going all the way. I'm never giving you a penny. I said, no chance, toilet pants. You are definitely not going all the way, Vince. And then wouldn't you know it, word comes out about Vince McMahon and all of the misbehavior and all of the money he's paid out to all these different women right as this is about to go to trial and then bing, tick, tock, boom. We got ourselves a settlement think Vince McMahon was ever going to get on the stand ever in a gazillion, quadrillion years? Nope. May 14th, 2020, we called it, and we got that one right. Today's way to see is about Brittany Griner. Brittany Griner is the WNBA player who is still in a Russian prison. Something happened yesterday that bothered me to no end. She was supposed to have a call with her wife, Sherelle, and the U.S. Embassy was arranging it in Russia. The call was scheduled for Saturday, two couple days ago. What is today? Wednesday, so four days ago. And the call did not happen. And the reason the call did not happen, can you imagine? They're patching through a call, connecting the two women who have not spoken since Rebecca, since Brittany was brought into custody. No one answered. The U.S. Embassy... I can't even say it, Coca. It was a Saturday and they got their signals crossed. The numbers were wrong and no one answered the phone. So Rebecca, Brittany Griner did not have a chance to speak to her wife. Her wife had a few interesting comments to say about it that weren't very positive toward the US government. Starting with, I find it unacceptable. I have zero trust in our government right now. If I can't trust you to catch a Saturday call outside of business hours, how can I trust you to actually be negotiating on my wife's behalf to come home? Because that's a much bigger ask than to catch a Saturday call. You're right, Brittany shouldn't have to call 11 times trying to reach Sherelle. But here's the problem. Do you think that Joe Biden and the US government is singularly focused on Britney and getting Britney home? Free Britney takes on a different word now, a little more serious, although freeing Britney Spears mattered from her situation, but I'd say detention and prison in Russia is quite a bit more serious than having your father run your finances. But let's not quibble. You think that the free Britney Movement is going to now get steam within the US government because they're embarrassed by the lack of phone call. I got a surprise for you. They don't care. The US embassy in Russia, the US government, from Joe Biden on down, they are saying to you positive things like, hey, we gotta work hard. We're gonna have a diplomatic solution. We're gonna do whatever it is we can. When you've got the Russian situation going on with Ukraine, when you've got the issues at home that we have with gas, with Saudi Arabia, with our economy, with inflation, here's where Brittany Griner stands in a trade at the bottom of the barrels full of oil. The United States is not going to give up anything to get Brittany home in a trade because they've got too many other fish to fry. It is the perfect example of John Stuart Mill and utilitarianism, the greater good, something that benefits the many will take precedence over something that benefits the few. I'd like Brittany to be home. I'd like her to be able to speak to Sherelle. I don't think she should be in prison. But if there are 10 million people in the U.S. or 300 million people who benefit from something that can be done and at the cost of Britney and not using up a chit or a favor to get Britney freed, Britney's not going to be freed. So here's my way to see. Britney's going to have her phone call with Sherelle and it's going to happen in the next 10 days. There will be communication because that does not require a lot of give by the U.S. But her time in detention, we're not at the end of it. The United States does a calculation the same way we do on Nothing Personal. Sometimes it's just business. This is Nothing Personal.